Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Good afternoon and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Afternoon Bible Study. Today is study number 16 in Jeremiah chapter 50. And we're going to be reading from Jeremiah 50, verses 24 through 27. I have laid a snare for thee, and thou art also taken, O Babylon, and thou wast not aware, thou art found, and also caught, because thou hast striven against Jehovah. Jehovah has opened his armory, and has brought forth the weapons of his indignation. For this is the work of the Lord Jehovah of hosts in the land of the Chaldeans. Come against her from the utmost border, open her storehouses, cast her up as heaps, and destroy her utterly. Let nothing of her be left. Slay all her bullocks, let them go down to the slaughter. Woe unto them, for their day is come, the time of their visitation. And I'll stop reading there. In our last study, we were looking at verse 24, that God had laid a snare for Babylon, and Babylon was taken and not aware. And we saw uh, in several places how this verse relates to the end of time, especially in Luke chapter 21, verses 34 through 36. God uses the very same language. He speaks of all the inhabitants of the earth being snared in the day of judgment. And again, that's not a coincidence that Babylon is said to have been taken in a snare and also all the inhabitants of the earth. That is in keeping what we have been learning about Babylon and it's been confirmed many times over that Babylon represents Satan's kingdom of this world which includes the churches that have been overrun by Satan. And and at the time of the end, God lays a snare for them. Now, a snare is a trap. A snare is uh, a trap that is laid that catches um, the one it was intended for by surprise. And it catches them suddenly, and they're unaware that they have been caught. And and that's what God has done with the world when he laid the snare of uh, Judgment Day on May 21, 2011. And how did God cover over this trap so it would not be seen and that the inhabitants of the world would not realize they were taken? Well, he brought an unawares destruction or an unseen destruction, a spiritual judgment that that took place and God brought upon every unsaved individual in the world. And since it's spiritual, they cannot see it, and it is a perfectly laid trap, which has caught everyone that does not have eyes to see. They They cannot understand the concept of a spiritual judgment the exact reaction that that the people of the churches had concerning the information 
that judgment was upon them, that God had forsaken the church and he had abandoned them and, and so forth. They, they didn't see it. They didn't recognize it. And, and so, uh, they refused to admit it or accept it. And likewise, this is how it's going to be with the judgment on the world. They will not acknowledge it. They, they, they can't acknowledge it. They cannot see it. And and that's exactly how God intended it to be. All right, we're going to move on now to verse 25 of Jeremiah 50. Jehovah has opened his armory and has brought forth the weapons of his indignation. For this is the work of the Lord Jehovah of hosts in the land of the Chaldeans. And, and again, the land of the Chaldeans is a reference, another way of saying Babylon. And... Uh, Jehovah has opened his armory. The Hebrew word translated as armory is only translated that way here. Uh, of all the English words that this particular Hebrew word, Strong's number 214, is translated as, it's only found as armory one time in this verse. Uh, most often it's translated as treasures. And it normally relates to the treasure of the temple. In one instance, we read of the treasures of the snow. And it's this word. And it's a word that can identify with the word of God, just like snow identifies with the word of God. And and so Jehovah has opened his armory. Now, it's actually a fairly good translation of that word because... It, it does give us the, the idea that God is opening up the place where he keeps his weapons. And that's exactly what the word of God, the Bible is. It, it's like, uh, an army's armory. And an armory would be where they would keep their tanks and their missiles and, and all of their, their guns. And at time of war, they open the armory. And all the soldiers um, are issued their weapons that they will use to fight in the battle. And that's the idea, except the armory in this case is the treasures of the word of God. It's, it's the whole Bible, which is the armory of God. It's where God's weapons are kept. And so when God opens his treasures, when he opens his armory... In a time of battle, as Judgment Day is, that has the idea of opening up the scriptures to reveal the righteous revelation of the judgment of God. As Romans 2.5 tells us, it's the opening of the scriptures, for instance, to give an example, in the, the days of the Great Tribulation, concerning the end of the church age. Now there, God opened up his armory, and out came the weapons of his word that pronounced judgment upon the churches and congregations. And those weapons, uh, which were also part of the wrath of God, as God was angry with the churches, that's why he was judging them, those weapons destroyed the uh, corporate body, the, the church institution, 
all churches and congregations all over the world. It was as though a spiritual bomb had fallen upon them, ruining um, their church. And it, it was a, a devastation that took place spiritually as a result of God simply opening up his word. The word of God is powerful, the Bible tells us. The, the word of God is not a light thing. It's not a little thing. When God opens up a truth, that truth has power and might and tremendous ability to accomplish the purpose of God. So when God opens up the information of the end of the church age, it destroyed spiritually all churches in the world and and it made them desolate. Likewise, when God opens up information from his word, and it's a simple thing, really, the idea of a door shutting. There's nothing too complicated about it. God pictures a door of heaven, and the door is Christ, and he teaches the door is open wide in the day of salvation, and especially for the little season of the latter rain that that occurs during the Great Tribulation. And then he illustrates and he pictures the door shuts on May 21, 2011. He, He gives us that figure, that strong figure of yet seven days, um, as he says to Noah in the book of Genesis. And on that seventh day, seven days later, he shuts the door and the door of the ark and then the flood begins. And 7,000 years later exactly, on May 21, which has the identical Hebrew calendar date as the day that God shut the door of the ark, 2.17, God indicates and and confirms that's the day the door shuts. It's the last day of the 23-year Great Tribulation. That's the day it shuts. It's all coming from the Bible. It's all information from the Word of God, but it's a powerful thing because it's coming forth from God's armory. It's uh, part of His weaponry. And therefore, this um really it it's just a doctrine it's just a a teaching like anything else in the bible but god is able to make it um a very strong teaching and and a strong doctrine so that it it causes quite a commotion and and that's why one of the reasons why he uh, identifies the great earthquake with judgment day because this kind of teaching coming forth from the word of God, it causes a great commotion as though the ground was shaking and, and so forth. And so, uh, here we're reading in Jeremiah 50 verse 25, Jehovah has opened his armory and has brought forth the weapons of his indignation. Now let's uh, look at both of these uh, words, weapons and indignation. Let's start by going to Isaiah chapter 13. Isaiah 13. And 
Isaiah 13 is a chapter dealing also with Judgment Day. And we read uh, in Isaiah 13, verse uh, 4. Okay, we'll start there. The noise of a multitude in the mountains, like as of a great people, tumultuous noise of the kingdoms of nations gathered together, Jehovah of hosts mustereth the host of the battle. They come from a far country, from the end of heaven, even Jehovah, and the weapons of his indignation, to destroy the whole land. And just so we know that this is referring to Judgment Day, it says in uh, verse 10 of Isaiah 13, For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light, the sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. And then in verse 11, And I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity, and I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease, and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. And that, of course, is language of the final judgment of this world. God is punishing the world. We we recognize uh, the reference to the stars uh, of heaven and the sun and the moon tying in uh, with Matthew 24, verse 29, as events that take place immediately after the tribulation. And and this is why we say, well, Judgment Day occurred immediately after the tribulation. And we are living in those days after that tribulation. And, of course, uh, people who say, oh, no, 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 the uh, that's not how it works. Judgment Day comes and and then the world ends immediately. Well, of course, they can't explain why Mark 13, verse 24, speaks of days, plural, after the tribulation, and they don't attempt to. They just have their doctrine. They they have it set. They don't want it disturbed. They don't want to look at other scriptures that contradict their uh, teaching, that, that goes contrary to their teaching, and uh, uh, they, they're just going to keep and maintain their teaching. Uh, unfortunately, we've seen that attitude before. It's the attitude of the church. When they've developed a doctrine, when it's solidly in place in their confession, in their creed, it's unmovable. And, and that indicates it's a high place. And it has more authority than the word of God. Well, sadly, we're seeing the same thing today with people who develop their uh, and, and insist, oh, this is how the end must be. It can't be this way. It, there can't be a spiritual judgment. And, and yet the spiritual judgment, the judgment beginning on May 21, immediately after the tribulation and continuing for days as it has, agrees with Mark 13, verse 24. Those days after that tribulation, and yet they cannot answer that verse and many other verses. And uh, I'm sorry to say, it's a, it's a typical indicator of people who are not being honest with the Bible. Well, uh, here in Isaiah 13, as we we read of Judgment Day, let's also remember that the context is set in Isaiah 13 in verse 1. 
the burden of Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos did see. And then we read of the stars falling and, and the sun being darkened and the moon not causing her light to shine, and I will punish the world. It's a, an additional confirmation. We are understanding Babylon correctly. It represents the world. And so in this context, which is set uh, uh, according to verse 1, it's the burden of Babylon. We read that God is coming to do war in, in the final uh, battle of Judgment Day, uh, Jehovah and the weapons of his indignation. It says in verse 5, to destroy the whole land of Babylon, the whole world. And uh, it's definitely uh, hand in hand with Jeremiah 50, verse 25. Jehovah has opened his armory and has brought forth the weapons of his indignation. For this is the work of the Lord Jehovah of hosts in the land of the Chaldeans. It, it's uh, the same context of Babylon. That, that God speaks of the weapons of his indignation. Now, the word weapon, the Hebrew word translated as weapons uh, here in Jeremiah 50 and also in Isaiah 13, is most often, uh, unusually, but most often translated as vessel or vessels. For instance, in Jeremiah 18, in Jeremiah chapter 18, it says in uh, verse 3, Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again, another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. And also in um, Psalm 2, Psalm 2 and verse 9. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And that's the, the same word translated as weapons. Now, when we, we read of a potter's vessel, that causes us to think of what we also read in Romans chapter 9. In Romans 9, when God is explaining His um, sovereignty concerning His salvation program, that, that He will have mercy upon whom He will have mercy. It's all according to election. And, and God saves some, and others He does not. And those He saves he speaks of as being vessels unto honor. And those he does not save, he calls vessels unto dishonor. In in um, Romans 9, in verse 21, Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath, and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which 
he had a fore prepared unto glory. There, um, vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor, both are referring to people. People. And, and that's what Jeremiah 18, um, uh, that figure of the potter and his vessels was a, was referring to. That's what Psalm 2 verse 9 that spoke about breaking them, uh, as, as, uh, a potter breaks his vessels. It's referring to people. And, and that makes us wonder, well, since this word, the Hebrew word translated as weapons in our verse is, is mostly, most often translated as vessels, is it possible that God is somehow relating the weapons of his indignation to vessels of indignation, which would be a reference to the elect. That, uh, as we saw in Isaiah 13, 5, that God was saying that he will come in the day of judgment. Let me read it again in verse Isaiah 13, verse 5. Jehovah and the weapons of his indignation to destroy the whole land. Now, we know that Christ comes with ten thousands of his saints. And, and here is God with the weapons of his indignation. Is, is there some link possible between these weapons, these vessels of indignation, as, as a means of indignation refers to the anger and fury of God in the day of judgment, uh, are the elect somehow being utilized as a form of a weapon? Well, let's look at another verse. This is in Jeremiah 51. Jeremiah 51. And here it says, I'm going to begin in verse 19. In Jeremiah 51 is the second chapter. Jeremiah 50 builds and builds uh, the the pronouncements and and uh, declarations of wrath against Babylon and and it continues right into Jeremiah 51. Two full chapters, verse after verse, uh, declaring the wrath of God upon Babylon, which pictures this world. And in this theme, we read, beginning in Jeremiah 51, verse 19, The portion of Jacob is not like them, for he is the former of all things, and Israel is the rod of his inheritance. Jehovah of hosts is his name. Thou art my battle axe and weapons of war. Now, who is God saying that uh, is his battle axe and weapons of war? He's just been speaking of Jacob. Jacob is a figure that can represent the elect of God. Jacob have I loved, but Esau I hated. And and now God has just said that um, he's he's been referring to Jacob and Israel is the rod of his inheritance. And by the way, um, Israel here is said to be the rod. Remember again, Psalm 2. Psalm 2, verse 9. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. 
thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So Christ is going to break the nations with a rod of iron. And, and that's confirmed in Revelation 19, verse 15. And this is referring to the Lord Jesus. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. So the the rod of iron, uh, again, let me read verse 19 of Jeremiah 51. The portion of Jacob is not like them. For he is the former of all things, and Israel is the rod of his inheritance. Now, the word rod is also translated as tribe. So it is referring to Israel, the tribe of his inheritance. The elect of God are the Israel of God, and they're also identified with the rod. The Jehovah of hosts is his name. And then in verse 20, Thou, Jacob and Israel, Jacob typifies the elect, Israel typifies the elect, thou art my battle axe and weapons of war. Now there, there is a, a link, as we saw before, the word weapons, and this is the same Hebrew word translated as weapons here. The word weapons is also Translated as vessels. Actually, more often, translated as vessels. So this could read, Thou art my battle axe and vessels of war. And that would fit very well with the idea of Jacob and Israel. Vessels unto honor, according to Romans chapter 9. Those pieces of clay, those men and women that God redeemed. He saved them and spared them and, and, and therefore they became vessels unto honor. They're vessels of mercy. But if they're vessels of mercy and vessels unto honor, how do they become like a battle axe? Well, let, let's just read and then we'll think about that again in verse 20. Thou art my battle axe and weapons of war, vessels of war, for with thee why break in pieces the nations, and with thee why destroy kingdoms, and with thee why break in pieces the horse and his rider, and with thee why break in pieces the chariot and his rider, with thee also why break in pieces man and woman, and with thee why break in pieces old and young, and with thee why break in pieces the young man and the maid, I will also break in pieces with thee, the shepherd and his flock, and with thee why break in pieces the husbandman and his yoke of oxen, and with thee why break in pieces captains and rulers. And also in verse 24, And I will render unto Babylon and to all the inhabitants of Chaldea all their evil that they have done in Zion in your sight, saith Jehovah. With thee... Uh, uh, repeatedly, I will break in pieces. And then finally it concludes all the evil they have done in Zion. Zion is Jerusalem. It represents the body of believers in your sight. It, God has been speaking to the believers all along. With thee, 
these things will be done. And, and you are my battle axe, Jacob, and Israel, and weapons of war. You are my vessels of war. Remember, um, lest we, we forget, in 1 Corinthians, God tells us there in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2, Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? God has a plan to use his people in the day of judgment that they will judge right along with him. And here in uh, Jeremiah 51, he is um, laying out the destruction that the people of God will bring in the time of judgment with them, God, using all the elect as his his vessels of war, his weapons of war, will break in pieces everyone else, all the unsaved. But how's he going to do that? And are we to have a different attitude, a different mindset? Are, are we to... Um, Somehow to start thinking as a, as though we're judging the rest of the people of the world? No. No. We're, we're just to continue on humbly obeying God and living our lives as we've always lived our lives, uh, seeking to do the will of God and, and whatever the Bible declares. Uh, no, what God is really referencing here by speaking of using Jacob as his battle axe and weapons of war, is the fact that he has saved all of the elect. He he has found each and every one, everyone whose name was recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life, was found and redeemed by the word of God. God saved the last of the elect, he completed his salvation program, and, and, and that formed the entire body. It uh, formed the whole body of Christ. The, all the believers now are one in him. He uh, indwells that body since he, he indwells everyone that has been saved, and they've all been saved. And, and this permitted God to shut the door of heaven. The fact that he has saved the last of the elect permits God to declare the judgment against Babylon, permits him to um, darken the sun, to put out the light of the moon, to cause the stars to fall. It permits God to remove the light of the candlestick, to take away the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride. And it permits God to um, do all these things which spiritually uh, revolve around one truth, which is God is no longer saving people. There is no more salvation. He stopped saving people at the beginning of Judgment Day on May 21, 2011, 
And in all these days since, he has not saved a single person and will no longer save anyone at all until Judgment Day completes. And this is the purpose of God. That's why nine times in the verses we just read in Jeremiah 51, nine times God said, with thee uh, will I break in pieces. He will, he will destroy. It's his purpose to, uh, to break in pieces like a potter, destroying the, the uh, vessels to dishonor. In the day of judgment, uh, he uh, nine times um, breaks down to three times three as God doubles his purpose. It is my purpose that these things will be accomplished. All right, well, let, let's um, take a, a quick look at the word indignation. And, and we'll just go to one, one place, uh, one verse in Isaiah chapter 26. In Isaiah 26, we read, um, beginning in verse 20, Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers, and shut thy doors about thee. Hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment, until the indignation be overpassed. For behold, Jehovah cometh out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity, the earth also shall disclose her blood, and shall no more cover her slain. And here, um, God is speaking to his people, and he's uh, telling them to go into their chambers. And this is a commentary on the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew 25. When the Lord comes, and he brings the five wise virgins uh, inside, they have entered into their chambers. That points to salvation. When God says, Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers, and shut thy doors about thee, hide thyself, that reference to hiding oneself um, is referring to hiding uh, in Christ through salvation. In Colossians it says in Colossians 3, in verse 3, For you're dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. It's not saying someone's uh, physically dead, but uh, that is how they should liken themselves or reckon themselves. Um, you are dead once you become saved, in a sense. For uh, ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God, and then the next verse says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. That's what God had in in mind when he's speaking to his people. Come, my people, enter into these chambers, shut the doors about you, hide yourself through salvation. That's what God had in mind in Zephaniah, in chapter 2. In the days leading up to uh, May 21, 2011, when God was beckoning and beseeching all the people of the world, these things, and Zephaniah 2, verse 2, says, Before the decree bring forth, before the day passes the chaff, 
before the fierce anger of Jehovah come upon you, before the day of Jehovah's anger come upon you, seek ye Jehovah, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment, seek righteousness, seek meekness, it may be, ye shall be hid in the day of Jehovah's anger. Hid, that is, seek him while he may be found, according to Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord, go to him at that time, in the day of salvation, crying for mercy. Dear Heavenly Father, have mercy upon me. Refuse to be quieted, no matter uh, who who didn't like that. And continue to cry out, and perhaps God would have mercy on you and save you. And the moment he did, then you would be hid for the day of Jehovah's anger, before the decree come, before that day arrive. And that's what Isaiah 26 is referring to in, in come my people, come into the chamber, shut the doors. Hide thyself as it were for a little moment. And a little moment is a figure to represent the duration of judgment day. Just as God speaks of a judgment day or an hour of judgment here, he uh, He says it's a moment. He likens it to a moment, a little moment. It's just another figure of speech that the Bible uses uh, to refer to a uh, prolonged period of time, but it is Judgment Day uh, that lasts 1,600 days a single day? It, no, it's much longer. Is Judgment Day, um, or was the Great Tribulation that's likened to an hour, uh, did it only last for an hour? No, it lasted for 23 years. It's much longer. And is Judgment Day um, only going to be a little moment? No, it's much longer. It's much longer. And and so hide yourselves through salvation. If you're saved, you're hidden. Your life is hid with Christ in God. You're safe. You're secure. Just like Noah and his family were safe and secure on the ark. And, and that, as that ark typified Jesus and and the safety that comes with salvation in him. So we are safe in Christ if we had become saved before entering into this period of time. And during this time, there is a spiritual fire, a fiery trial of faith, a severe testing period for everyone. And and we'll see people falling away, returning to the world, returning to church, Returning to former doctrines, just just uh, going back and uh, left and right, and yet not the child of God, not the true believer, because he will endure to the end for the simple reason his life has been hid in Christ. It is the fact that he has experienced salvation, and and God will protect him as a result all throughout this time until we reach the end of it. And that's what this is referring to. Hide thyself as it were for a little moment until the indignation be overpassed. Now, how can someone explain this? 
What what is Isaiah 26 talking about? Here is another verse that they certainly uh, have no good explanation for. Why God is speaking to his people, telling them to come into a safe chamber, to be hid for a little moment until a period of indignation. And when we follow that word, it takes us right to judgment day as as we've seen um, in Isaiah 13, verse 5, uh, and, and also in Jeremiah 50, why is it necessary for God's people to hide for this little moment until an, a period of indignation be overpassed? If the, the end of the world um, scenario works out as people say, the, the believers are just living their lives like everyone else, day by day, day by day. Nobody knows nothing. No one knows a day or hour. Christ comes. Christ comes, and isn't that it? Isn't that the end of the world? Instantaneous? What is this hiding yourself uh, while a period of indignation unfolds? What's that all about if, if um, Christ is going to judge the world in an instant? and destroy the world in an instant, and take his people to heaven in an instant. Well, well, of course, they, they, they would say, well, you see, it's only a little moment. But, but they're not following that phrase. They're not seeing how that phrase is used elsewhere, and that it actually refers to the whole period of judgment. And, and even then, uh, it sure seems like a lot of uh, care and protection is going into to watching over the people of God for that split second. It, you would think that it, it would be unnecessary uh, to uh, take them into the safe chambers and shut their doors and so forth if it's all just going to be a split second. Of course, the answer is that the period of indignation is this uh, time we're in now, these days after the tribulation, a prolonged judgment day, prolonged period of time, and there is a great need to be protected, to have entered into those safe chambers, and and to have been hidden in Christ until this indignation be overpassed. Uh, we, we can see the desperate need for that as we understand the many other scriptures that relate. Well, let's go back to Jeremiah 50. Jeremiah chapter 50. And verse 25 says again, uh, into verse 26, Jehovah has opened his armory and has brought forth the weapons of his indignation, the vessels of his indignation. We can see how that relates to the elect. They they are his battle axe. They are his weapons against the unsaved because it is the completion of their salvation that is the um, the the instrument of God's wrath in the day of judgment. The completion of their salvation allows God to uh, pour out his wrath upon every unsaved individual. 
And uh, and then it goes on to say, for this is the work of the Lord Jehovah of hosts in the land of the Chaldeans. And then in verse 26 of Jeremiah 50, come against her from the utmost border, open her storehouses, cast her up as heaps, and destroy her utterly. Let nothing of her be left. And her, the, the feminine uh, pronoun is a reference to Babylon. It, it is referring to Babylon. And again, God is speaking to his people. Come against her from the utmost border. Open her storehouses. The word storehouses is only found here. Cast her up as heaps. Now, uh, heaps is a word that identifies with harvest. Uh, we're not going to turn there, but you can go to Second Chronicles 31 and read verses 6 through 9, and it's found there um, about four times. And uh, it, it had to do with the offering of the harvest, as the people brought the first fruits of their harvest. And also in Ruth, uh, chapter 3, verse 7, we won't go there, but um, in that book that had much to do with harvest, uh, the, it spoke of the end of a heap of corn. And this word, um, in in just about every place it's used in the Bible, relates to harvest. Well, what does that have to do with Babylon in a day of judgment? Well, if we didn't, if we didn't see earlier in our study of uh, Babylon, in the in the study of um, Jeremiah 50, that Babylon and its fall identifies with the final harvest. God, we saw in four different uh, places, related the fall of Babylon to harvest time. The final harvest that comes at the end of the world, the harvest that identifies with the feast of ingathering. For instance, back in verse 16 of Jeremiah 50, cut off the sower from Babylon and him that handleth the sickle in the time of harvest. And, and there were many other references. We're not going to go back to them, but, but it's why God is speaking of casting her up as heaps because it's the um, judgment upon Babylon. Remember in Revelation 14, uh, in verse 8, we read, Babylon is fallen. And then, what do we find just a few verses later? The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, the Son of God, comes with a sickle. Put in the sickle and reap. It's said again and again in Revelation 14. It's, it's the final harvest of this world, the harvest of the wicked, as they're thrown into the vats, into the great wine press of the wrath of God, and then the wine, or, or the, excuse me, their blood comes out of the wine press unto the space of 1600 furlongs, which identifies with the extension of their life in the time of judgment for 1600 days. It, it, that's, how it appears to be anyway. Well, uh, again, here's a reference to a a word that directs us to harvest. Cast her up as heaps and destroy her utterly. Let nothing of her be left. Destroy her utterly. That is, um, 
we're we're not to um, make any allowance for a crack in the door. The door is shut. The door is not shut 99% of the way. The door is not shut 99.9% of the way. And, you know, there has been uh, some discussion uh, over the last few years where people have uh, attempted to open the door just a crack for babies born uh, in in these days after the tribulation for children conceived and born after God shut the door. Certainly, there there is some uh, extenuating circumstances that would permit the mercy of God. And the Bible insists, it's not our insistence, it's the Bible's insistence. The door is shut completely, 100%. We cannot open it, no matter how much we would desire to do so. And we would desire to do so for little babies and and many others. Yet we cannot open it. God insists it is to be a complete and utter destruction. Destroy her utterly. And and we can't and we had better not um, try to get around this language of destroying utterly. In Joshua 10... In Joshua 10, God uses this kind of language in verse 40. So Joshua smote all the country of the hills, and of the south, and of the vale, and of the springs, and all their kings. He left none remaining, but utterly destroyed all that breathed, as Jehovah God of Israel commanded. Joshua, uh, during the conquest of the land of Canaan, was commanded destroy all the inhabitants of this city and and the next city and so forth. Now, uh, another person was given that kind of instruction. And it was King Saul in 1 Samuel 15, in verse 3. God said to him through the prophet Samuel, Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not. But slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. And then a little further down in verse 7, And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur, that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, of the fatlings, and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse, that they utterly destroyed. You see, we, we would have to say that Saul was um, obedient. He, he did just about everything the Lord commanded him to do. He, he did slay all the people, man, woman, and child, except for the king. And and they spared the best of the the flocks, the sheep, and the oxen, and so forth. But basically, he performed the word of the Lord. Well, not quite. It says in verse 10 of 1 Samuel 15, Then came the word of Jehovah unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, 
For he has turned back from following me, and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto Jehovah all night. And then skip down to verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of Jehovah, I have performed the commandment of Jehovah. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen, to sacrifice unto Jehovah thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. And and then uh, also skip down to verse 18. And Jehovah sent thee on a journey. Here Samuel is explaining to Saul. And said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of Jehovah, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of Jehovah? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of Jehovah, and have gone the way which Jehovah sent me, and have brought Agag the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto Jehovah thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Half Jehovah's great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of Jehovah? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of Jehovah, he has also rejected thee from being king. So we we see that God is not pleased with 99 percent obedience or 99.9 percent obedience uh, it reminds us of the verse in James that says he who keepeth the whole law yet offendeth in one point is guilty of all and we may uh, think oh that, that's pretty harsh for Saul since he was he was so obedient to the Lord's command he just left out a couple of things but God demands perfection. And and God demands that when he commands something, it be obeyed. And when he says utterly destroy, whether it be the people in the land of Canaan, as he told Joshua, or whether it be the Amalekites, or whether it be the Babylonians, as God is commanding in Jeremiah 50, verse 26, Come against her, he's speaking to his people. Come against her from the utmost border, open her storehouses, cast her up as heaps, and destroy her utterly. Let nothing of her be left. It is to be obeyed and commanded. And again, There's an inference here. There's a strong implication to us in what we are to proclaim in this time period. We are to make sure that when we tell people it's judgment day, that we let them know that means the door is shut to all. No one ever again can become saved not one 
inhabitant of this world, because that would be if we were to, uh, and of course we can't do this, but it, in our our teaching or in our sharing of these things, if we left the door open or ajar, even the slightest bit, and and that would not be in accord with the Bible, and and it would not be obedient to the commandments of God. It is closed, completely closed, 100% closed, and no man can open what God has shut. And we are, uh, in doing this, fulfilling the word of the Lord that he has brought a complete and total destruction to Babylon. There is not to be any mercy. Let me just read Deuteronomy 7 and verse 2 before we close. In Deuteronomy 7, verse 2, And when Jehovah thy God shall deliver them before thee, Thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. That's what utterly destroy means. Show no mercy. And and God has ended his salvation program, which showed mercy. And there is no more mercy to be shown. And, and, and as far as the sharing the truths of the Bible, it, the day of salvation is ended. God's evangelization of this world is concluded. And there is just now utter destruction. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.